Hello, this is Dr. Jake Lancaster, and this week on Connecting the Dots, we are playing a presentation from our 5th annual TWI Summit this past October, where Dr. Paul DePriest kicked off the summit with speaking about the importance of standardization in healthcare. Dr. Paul DePriest is the first physician to serve as Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare Corporation. I now want to turn it over to my leader, uh, Dr. Paul DePriest. He is our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Some of y'all probably heard him speak at the NEA TWI Summit that we did a couple of years ago. So Dr. DePriest, I'm going to um, hand it over to you now. And if you have some slides you want to share, you can. Uh, you have the access to do that. Well, thanks, Skip. Appreciate the invitation. I really wanted uh, to really just engage you in a conversation around the place of standardization in, in healthcare. And I, I want to start kind of uh, with a few comments about the history of healthcare. So uh, for any of you who, um, you know, are students of the history of medicine, you will uh, find out that, uh, that medicine really began as a carriage industry, uh, almost a trade, uh, much more like uh, plumbing, or uh, carpentry than anything you would think of today that's based in chemistry and science and biology and virology and so forth. So um, as time progressed and knowledge of uh, human anatomy and human biology and physiology uh, was, uh, was obtained and centers of higher learning uh, began to be more and more capable of transmitting that information to broad uh, segments of the populations, both in Europe and, and then uh, abroad, um, you know, we, we began to get much more structured in the educational process and the licensure or certification of people who were going to be uh, delivering medical care uh, to humans. Uh, that, and that goes for both uh, the specialties of, of uh, uh, medicine, uh, the specialties of surgery, the specialties of nursing, uh, the specialties of uh, anesthesia provision, and the list goes on. Um, interestingly, though, as, as time progressed and the American Board of OBGYN was formed and the American Board of Internal Medicine, the American College of Surgery, and so forth, um, we really never progressed past the point uh, that each doctor, um, and I'll use nurses at the same time, each doctor or nurse, have an individual responsibility to render care for that patient in the way that they best see fit and that they were responsible uh, for that care uh, individually uh, for the way that they rendered it. So it's no um, uh, amazing fact that if I'm a surgeon in an operating room that I feel intensely responsible uh, for the outcome that I achieve with my patient. Um, and so I, I just want to pause there for a second. I think that all physicians who come out of training um, have that perspective. I think we are trained in that manner. And I think seldom are we taught that the outcomes achieved in the operating room are the collective outcomes of a team of people. Um, now, uh, and let me pause at that point and, and kind of now convert over uh, to the Industrial Revolution and what was happening in industry 
at the same time that medicine was kind of getting legs under it with regard to standard education, certification, and licensure. With the Industrial Revolution, what happened was that these carriage industries, uh, the plumbers, the uh, carpenters, the pipe fitters, the uh, cobblers, um, were actually transplanted onto shop floors where mass production of shoes or mass production of pipes uh, could occur. With the advent of mass production came the need uh, for um, very dependable outcomes around the product. So if we were going to be producing a pair of shoes or we were going to be producing a pipe, it had to be to very specific uh, measurements, very specific quality standards, and there was no room for excess variation in those outcomes. And the, the industrial leaders, mainly engineers, uh, manufacturing gurus, they understood that you had to be able to bring a team of uh, very skilled artisans to the table to be able to deliver those standard outcomes. Um, this is one reason that I say that industry and manufacturing is 70 years ahead of medicine in the way that we think of quality. Now, you know, Skip has a rich history of measuring quality in an industrial setting. Uh, Madison and Katie you know, have studied intensely um, how process engineering and industrial engineering standards uh, are applied in, in a broad uh, cross-section of industry. And now we've come to learn that there's an importance of imprinting some of those thoughts and some of those capabilities within medicine. Think for just a moment about those outcomes on the surgical patient that we're describing. All of the variation that is introduced by different methodologies for preparing the patient, different methodologies uh, for choice of instrumentation in the OR, different choices uh, of implants that uh, one surgeon may use versus another, uh, differences in the nursing practice of the circulator nurse in the room, uh, differences in practice of how closely we adhere uh, to a timeout checklist, differences in how uh, the team in the, in the recovery room uh, manage um, uh, that early recuperation of the patient, and then uh, so on and so forth down through the ICU and finally to the acute care ward. Now, that's a very complex series of activities that have to be orchestrated around a patient that may themselves have brought a significant degree of variation to the table, unlike a piece of metal that's going to become a pipe. So I hold that medicine, it's even more important that we understand standard work and, and standardization of processes and work systems around a patient. And it's because of that degree of variation that the patient brings uh, to the uh, OR or uh, to that uh, clinic room uh, or to that inpatient acute care bed. So what we've uh, been trying to do within Baptist is to develop a systems approach to how we think about all things medicine, um, and we try our best to catch up and close that 70-year gap. Um, now, I'd love to be able to just have an open conversation with you about this point, uh, because I think, we, I think we could all learn from that, my, myself included. Uh, but, but this morning, I'm, I'm going to make a few assumptions. I'm going to make a, a few assumptions 
that you enjoy driving an automobile that is light years better than Henry Ford's uh, car of 1930. I'm going to assume that you love having air conditioning and airbags and uh, safety restraints and that you enjoy the economy of the fuel that you uh, can get nowadays, whether or not it's a hybrid vehicle, electric vehicle, or gasoline vehicle. I'm going to assume that you love the fact that you pay less of your salary for your car this year than you would have paid as a ratio of your salary in 1930. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Critical to understand that while medicine is light years ahead of where we were in 1930, it's also absorbing a huge chunk of the American workers' um, take-home salary and wages, significantly higher, three times higher than it was in 1930. So while we're able to deliver a modicum of improved safety and quality over 1930 and a much more sophistication around technology, unfortunately, the cost of that has risen over time. I hold that there's a lesson. We should be humble and we should learn from industry. They were able to improve the quality of the outcomes, the safety of the products, the satisfaction associated with the products, and to do all of that for less of my annual wage. So why has that not happened in medicine? Why hasn't it been a similar evolution? Well, I hold that part of it is because we never really released the carriage industry idea or the craftsman or artisan idea. And hence, we don't uh, understand the necessity of having very clear processes and systems that guide the way we care for patients. Now, we're doing our best, and we've got some fantastic and very um, encouraging results that, that I'm sure that Skip uh, has talked about and that you've all talked about over time. And so I don't want to sound like, a, like this is an insurmountable problem. It's not at all. But we must be willing to think first, what are our systems that guide leadership in our healthcare organizations? Are they clear? Is every leader, all 1,300 within the Baptist system, do they understand uh, those leadership principles and key behaviors and processes that will drive outcomes at a leadership level? Similarly, do we have very clear safety systems and quality systems that help us guide uh, the outcomes that our patients desire, that our um, business partners desire? that our payer partners desire. I would ask the same question about our finance control systems. Are those principles and key behaviors that should attach and align to our leadership behaviors and principles, are they clear, are they encoded, are they written down, and is it in a form that I can transmit to the next young CFO that we hire? Now, if you think about that, you think, and I, and I could go through other systems. I could talk about human resource systems. I could talk about strategy deployment systems. Uh, we could talk about work systems. And let me camp out on that one for a second. The same way that in a high-performing organization, and industry's known this for 70 years, rem remember, high-performing organizations have very clearly delineated principle based behaviors 
that they require of their leaders. Um, they rely on systems to pull forward those behaviors on a cadence or on a schedule so that we can evaluate ourselves, hold one another accountable for being able to lead in a very specific way in industry and now in healthcare. What about the standards, the basic principles, the underlying key behaviors that are required of those high-performing clinical teams? Have we been as capable at clarifying those, both um, in documentation in our training for nurses, for respiratory therapists, for physical therapists, for OBGYN doctors, for um, you know, surgeons, medicine doctors? Have we been as clear in how those work systems integrate all the different members of the team so that we get the least variation around the desired outcome for a given patient? I would hold that this is an area where we have a huge opportunity. Now, Skip and, and his team, Katie and Madison, they've been working with uh, the, the BMS assessors across our uh, system uh, to really begin asking those questions and to uh, begin encouraging our CEOs and their senior teams uh, to be not only designing uh, those systems and perfecting those systems in finance, in HR, uh, in um, and quality and safety, but also uh, the work systems. So my main take-home message uh, for, this, for this team this morning is really uh, to, to encourage you to begin thinking and, and helping us roll up our sleeves and do the hard work around designing uh, the systems that guide our work, designing the processes that support those systems, and identifying very clearly the principle-based behaviors that will allow us uh, to drive A-plus outcomes uh, within our organization and within other organizations. The work systems uh, at the moment are pretty, um, are pretty, I would say, meager, meaning that I got to see a very nice example of one that a, a young ICU physician, a leader in our pediatric ICU, she was able to show me a couple weeks ago, and I was very thankful for this. Uh, she realized that a work system uh, had to be more than just an order set. The order set wasn't enough to guide uh, the specifics of standard care around that patient. And so we were uh, talking, and she was showing me uh, her attempts to be able to get that picture of work systems in front of other uh, clinicians who were going to be caring for very sick children at critical moments, such as when a child presents to an emergency department with diabetic ketoacidosis, or when a child uh, presents to an ED uh, with a seizure disorder. How can we make sure that that high standard of care is delivered to every child with zero variation? So what Dr. Snow had developed uh, was a pathway algorithm protocol, if you will, that is present and embedded there within EPIC. So not only is there an order set that can be tapped by nurses, but there is a picture of the optimal pathway of care or system of care that can be delivered to patients with a very specific uh, disorder. I would say that that uh, picture is a, a very nice starting point 
uh, for where we'd like to go within Baptist. So not only do we have a standard methodology for treating DKA and, uh, and seizure disorders in children, but do we have similar clarity and communication amongst all of those team members, critical team members, um, care for congestive heart failure, advanced congestive heart failure, minor congestive heart failure. And so you can see the complexities of this work are um, vast. However, I think patients, our customers, uh, deserve the very best effort that we can bring forward. So those are my reasons uh, for holding standard work and standardized work uh, at a very high level of importance for Baptists. I'm working really hard, Skip is helping me, encourage a group of physicians to help us think about this. We call it the Society of Physicians for Healthcare uh, Improvement and Engineering. Um, we, it's a group of nerds, uh, and we enjoy getting together. Uh, we enjoy getting together regularly and, and talking about things as boring as standard work. However, I think it's critical. If we're going to catch our engineering and, and industrial colleagues and make up the 70-year gap, I think we've got to humbly approach this work, uh, be honest with ourselves that uh, possibly uh, the standards that are collectively developed are better than what Paul DePriest could uh, bring, bring about via my order set or by my great surgical technique uh, on a given day uh, that might actually introduce variation in outcomes that are, that are unnecessary and scientifically unproven. So for those reasons, Skip, you know, I think that the focus of um, standardized work within healthcare is a critical component and we should be moving toward that uh, day over day and, uh, and really changing the culture and the behaviors of our young clinicians as they exit training, as they join a Baptist, and that goes for all uh, clinical colleagues. Uh, I think it's critical that we uh, prioritize uh, standards of work and we perfect uh, the Baptist model of standard work documents uh, that can um, guide the care around that very, very important and precious patient in our organization. So I'll pause there, Skip. Uh, happy to answer any questions. Uh, happy to uh, try to fill any details if I've been murky on any, but uh, I did want to just have a few minutes to describe why I think that standard work is precious and something that we should be swimming toward very quickly. Just just to echo on that, I want to encourage everyone. You know, we've got uh, Dr. DePriest is a stickler for time, so we've got uh, 13 minutes before uh, we switch over. So please ask him some questions. Also, you know, Dr. DePriest and I put together a paper back in May called Six Starter Questions. The objective of that uh, document was to start a dialogue about how to think about standardization, whether those be standard outcomes or standard methods to produce the outcomes. So please, uh, let me kind of hit the pause and encourage anyone and everybody to ask Dr. DePriest any questions while we have him. Yeah, I might ask one question of the group, and that is, have you seen examples where variations in work or variations in clinical care, in this case, you know, I call it clinical work, uh, but it, have you seen examples where variations in clinical work have led to less than optimal outcomes? And if, if anybody can give an example of that, you know, we'll, 
the names will remain um, closely held. <laughs> but I think we here in Cincinnati see it all the time with many, many things, just catheter placement, especially indwelling catheters, when there's not standard um, procedures that are occurring, we see recurrent infections, we see recurrent problems, we see all kinds of issues that come up um, that, that evolve from that. So, I mean, that's one that at times I think costs lives, um, and that's with multiple, multiple, and as we've come down and visited you, we've just been blown away by what we're seeing down at Baptist and the way you're able to get the training at all levels and to have a finger on the pulse at all levels of where are the catheters in, multiple different catheters, how long have they been in, if they're going beyond a certain point, why is that? So, um, does that, hopefully that answers your, what, what you're looking for there. And if you, I'm sure in a couple minutes, I could come up with multiple, multiple other examples of variation everywhere. No, I love that example because it's such a common procedure in healthcare. Um, you know, I don't think I ever operated on a patient in my career that didn't have a Foley catheter. And of course, I'm a pelvic surgeon, so in that in that region, everybody gets a catheter. But what a great example of a common, common procedure that, you know, we're still working hard to try to standardize and hold ourselves accountable to validating that the standards are being followed every day. What the, you know, the validation part, I would also point out, is critical. Once you write down the standard and once you train everyone, your work has only begun. What we're finding is that we all, uh, we, we're a forgetful people, uh, you know, as we, as we read about in Scripture. Uh, we forget uh, the various steps in a standard and we get in a hurry. Um, you know, a story that I've shared before and I won't go into detail, but it was, a, it was an engineer who ended up in a hospital, um, and a nurse was trying to care for a very difficult situation, and she noticed that the kit that she opened up didn't have everything she needed. And uh, immediately, she, uh, what did she do? Uh, she winged it, and she basically made do with what she had and, uh, and doctored the situation, which didn't have a particularly good outcome. The question the engineer asked is, why was there no andon cord? Why was there no way for her to escalate that she had a missing supply or resource? So she couldn't perform her work perfectly in that moment to be able to render the highest quality, least variation uh, outcome. Critical. So even when you think about Foley catheter placement, how many times have we been in a situation where we're struggling around looking for different components that we need if the kit uh, uh, didn't have the component or if for some reason we were trying to wing it with various components that we would pull off the shelf uh, if we didn't have the complete kit there in front of us. It's a very common, very, you know, it's a very uh, great example because it's a common procedure that we perform in healthcare and I don't think we've yet perfected it to the level that engineers have been able to perfect some other standard procedures in uh, in industry. Great example. Any, any others that that people could um, could mention that might help the team, you know, see variation in front of them. Dr. Dupreece, this is Dr. Pollock from Intermountain Healthcare. We had a patient 
presenting to an ED with atrial fibrillation last year and was cardioverted. And during the process, the defibrillator was not synchronized. So you can predict the outcome of what this um, patient experienced because it was not synchronized. They subsequently went into asystole and they were not able to be resuscitated. And so very unfortunate outcome. This, this uh, point is very important, I think. And as a matter of fact, we're trying to use this example to help people understand the need for standards. And when I asked what is the current standard, they pulled out a, a document that was about 50 steps long. And um, I took that and broke it down into just a, uh, we call it key process standard work or, or a jib. And just to drive home the point, there's a few key steps here that everybody must know and be trained to in order to execute this safely. And if we do so, we can provide that safe, high quality care um, and it, it's interesting how we do lag so far behind in medicine, but that is one example that we're using um, to, uh, to teach this point here at Intermountain. So I appreciate this great discussion this morning. Thank you. Well, that's a terrific example, man. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I could, I could certainly share a bunch uh, with you for my, my life. That one, um, a good example of a really kind of a, a technical um, technically difficult situation where a lot of people don't really understand how defibrillators work. Um, a lot of people don't understand how pacers work. You know, I get it, get into it in a slightly different area. But tell me, how have you, once you trained the team members, have you developed a validation process, uh, ongoing uh, verification that uh, the people that will be involved in that work um, have been able to retain that information or have a way to reach up and grab uh, the jib uh, to have that standard work document in front of them. We we haven't yet. We we've been working with standards for many years successfully, um, using both order sets and care pathways. Our care process models have really driven uh, great standardization across our organization, reduced variation. But um, as we all know, healthcare is so complicated that there's so many of these. Uh, procedures and many of these risky procedures and other circumstances like Lou mentioned just with the Foley catheter insertion that we haven't gotten to that we're we're just not to that level of maturity yet where where we're doing that we're um, with Christine Otterson's help who will be speaking later today where uh, we're beginning that journey so we're uh, we're looking forward to learning more from you and Skip and your organization in that regard. Well, thank thank you, Matt. We've got we have tons to learn ourselves, and I you know I hold Intermountain in in high regard. I've been out there a couple times, and uh, really think you guys are are leaders. So I'm I'm glad you're uh, infecting our team here, and uh, hopefully we can we can learn together. You know, Skip. One thing I did want to kind of close with, and and others may have uh, you know questions uh, at the end, but I I want to close just by encouraging everyone. I love the way Matt presented. The, the journey. So I do think there's a great odyssey, you know, in front of you as leaders and improvers of healthcare. I think the journey is fantastic. I think that it is, uh, it holds huge promise. And I really think that you can spend your career helping healthcare catch up with industry in how we respectfully develop standards, train to standards, 
verify and validate the standards are being followed, all with an eye toward one outcome, and that's creating greater value for our customers, creating greater value for patients, higher quality outcomes, higher safety outcomes. Interestingly, as we do that, it's been shown that we also improve the outcomes for our employees. Nurses have lower injury rates. Uh, physicians have lower uh, uh, stress uh, from having very clear indications of uh, how to manage X, Y, or Z, or even how much time we ask an individual to spend on the work floor. So I would, uh, I, I would just you know, kind of end our conversation with saying that there's a fantastic, wonderful journey ahead of you. Many of you have a lot more years than I have on the journey, but I would uh, just encourage you uh, to, to move into that and keep our organization and your organizations moving down the path of understanding the intricacies of standard work in healthcare and being able to kind of carry the torch into the next decade uh, as, we, as we work really hard uh, to catch up with our industrial engineering and, and our manufacturing colleagues. So, Skip, I'll kind of stop there. Um, any, any final points you'd like to make, Skip? No, just I can't thank you enough. I mean, once again, uh, people always ask about the Baptist management system, and I try to say as consistent as I can that, you know, Dr. DePriest is the real visionary of this. I just get to uh, lead the effort. Uh, and so even the, even the work on standardization, he had to uh, get through my thick skull that uh, about a year ago that we needed to have a more of a focus on this. And, and so I told you at the beginning of the, uh, the summit that we have a less than a one hour little session where we're going to try to help connect some dots with standardization and the rest of the work uh, within Baptist. If uh, if you haven't considered reading those that four page document that Dr. DePriest and I put together called six starter questions, I would encourage you to. It's not the it's not the how it's not the what you're going to do. It's or not the how you're going to do it, but it's the what. So it's just some simple questions to get you to reflect on your work, whether that be putting a catheter in or whether that be how you think about nurse leader rounding. So uh, I would just encourage you to look at that. And for our friends that are outside of Baptist, uh, I know some of you already have it, but I can, I'd be more than willing to send you the document. Thank you so much, Dr. DePriest, for your time. Uh, thank you for sharing and thank you for being the visionary that you are. Well, thank you, Skip, and I hope you guys have a great uh, learning session together, and uh, I look forward to, to working with all of you um, and uh, traveling with you on this great odyssey ahead. So uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much.